Hello, you are listening to Nudge with me, Phil Agnew. Now, growth hacks are something we have talked a lot about before on the show. We have praised how smart, small tweaks, small hacks can really hack your way to growth. They are widely praised with marketers in multiple different industries and regions advocating their effect. But are they really all that good? And could there be a downside to all this hacked growth? In this episode, I'm delighted to be joined again by Rand Fishkin. Rand is co-founder of Spark Toro, previously co-founder of Moz and author of Lost and Founder, a must read for anyone in the startup world. Rand documents his thoughts on growth hacking in a chapter in his book titled Just a Little Hacking, What Could Go Wrong? He gives a great example of how a successful growth hack at his previous company Moz ended up causing far more harm than good. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com slash service to do more for your customers today. The hack, which, look, a lot of folks in the technology world think that in order to do marketing in technology, the way to go about it is to find a hack that you know, sort of abuses or takes advantage of a um, a weakness in a system that could be psychological in human beings, or it could be in a um, an existing platform or an existing structure in the marketplace, and then sort of lean on that until uh, you extract all the value from it, and then go find another one. Uh, and and I find this I find this problematic because I've had experience. So at Moz, we we tried this with a psychological hack that was indeed very successful. Right, it was based on all the all the principles: scarcity principle, uh, pricing principles. Was based on um, fear of missing out. So here's here's what I did. I sent an email. It was from my personal email as the reply to, even though it was, it was bulk sent to uh, everyone on our email list, which was tens of thousands of people. I can't remember exactly how many tens of thousands of people. 
and it basically said you can try Moz Pro. At, it was called SEO Moz Pro at the time. Uh, for your first month is only a dollar. That email got a pretty decent open rate, pretty decent click through rate. A lot of people did put in their credit card and tried it. And of course, what happened is, you know, the next month you got recurring billing at whatever it was, forty nine or. $79. I can't remember exactly how much our pricing was. I think it was 49 at the time. The second thing that it did is uh, the, I think the next day, the uh, responses were so overwhelming, right? I was fielding literally thousands of responses uh, to my inbox because I had made a couple mistakes in the email. And so we sent a follow-up email to everyone on the list again saying, I made a mistake regarding the $1 offer. That was the, the subject line of the email. That email had like three or four times the open rate of the previous email. The whole hack of, oh, I made a mistake about the email promotion thing. I don't think it had become a thing yet. I don't know whether I actually kicked it off or whether like unintentionally, right? But that obviously became a big tactic for the next five, 10 years. And now it's burned, right? It doesn't, doesn't work anymore. So what happened? Well, SEOmoz did get a ton of new customers, a, a metric ton, but three things were true about them. One, most of those people did not need the product right then, right? They were paying a dollar and maybe they were even staying subscribed for a few months because they had fear of missing out and they'd been sort of, you know, psychologically motivated into giving it a try, but not because of their need, more because of our push. The second thing that was true was that those folks, many of them did not have the uh, savviness, technical know-how to use the product and to make changes, the ability to make changes to their site in ways that would help their SEO. So the product did not do what it was supposed to do for them and many of them didn't feel that benefit. Uh, and then, and the third thing following from those first two was that a huge portion of those people quit the service unhappy with it. For this, these promotional groups, we, in a way, burned and hurt our reputation a little bit with a lot of those folks who thought, yeah, two or three years later, right? Let's say, Philip, you tried SEO Moz Pro back in, during this promotional time. I think it was 2009, 2008, something like that. You tried it and you were like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, this is all right, but I'm not really getting what I want. Two years later, three years later, you need SEO. You're doing the work. What are you going to do? You're going to try SEOmoz again? No, you can probably give a competitor a spin, right? Let's, let's see what else is out there, right? That, that, that wasn't, uh, I remember having experience with them a few years ago. It wasn't the greatest. It wasn't exactly what I needed at the time. Let me try something else. Oops. This email from Rand is copied and pasted into his book. Reading it back, you can see that it is absolutely packed with nudges. There's the scarcity tactic in there. So Rand writes, while we're sending this offer to 122,000 members, it is only valid for the first 5,000 people. Classic scarcity effect there. He also anchors the message by stating it's a once in a lifetime offer. So, you know, not likely, not something you'll likely get again. He also puts a time limit on the offer stating it expires the following Friday. It's no wonder that it worked. It got heaps and heaps of people to sign up. But as Rand explains, they were either the wrong people or they were the right people at the wrong stage of the buyer's journey. In his book, Rand goes on to explain how this offer severely harmed Moz's success metrics for years to come. 
Moz had a much higher churn rate compared to their competitive peers, not because they had a bad tool or because the product wasn't loved, but simply because they targeted the wrong users at the wrong time. That made it hard and sometimes impossible for Rand to raise additional VC funding for Moz. Focusing on growth hacks alone can cause this problem. It can encourage action, but not always from the right people. And even hacks that work can harm you in the long term. This is why I am so much more passionate after that experience about building this long-term self-sustaining flywheel of marketing efforts that that have real long-term impact and continue to create demand and consumer satisfaction among buyers versus trying to to use hacks, right? Growth hacks of all kinds to temporarily impact uh, sales and get a little bump. Those little bumps from growth hacks ultimately fail when compared to long-term campaigns. A study by Lee Binet and Peter Field highlighted how six months of a long-term brand-building campaign could create much more value than any short-term promotional campaign or promotional price. Another study from Millwood Brown found that companies that change their core message or their price, so you know, doing constant small-term, short-term campaigns rather than a long-term consistent campaign, these companies will often struggle with brand recall. Now, assuming that recall is 100% for a company and their original one message, every time that message changes, so every time they try and try something new with their campaign, recall tends to fall. So Millwood Brown showed how that after hearing three different messages over the course of a year, for example, brand recall fell from 100% to just 62%. And after four messages, it drops to 43%. Hacks are harmful because of their short-term focus. They reduce recall and increase confusion. Instead, marketers should invest in long-term thinking. Here's how Rand suggests marketers should adopt that longer-term approach. All right, so when you are faced with building a marketing practice, a sustainable marketing practice inside an organization as as an agency or consultant or or in-house, you kind of have these these two choices of models. And I think that the default one, unfortunately, is I'm going to invest in marketing channels and tactics that look like they might have positive ROI and reach my customers. And very often that is, let me buy ads on Google and Facebook. And hopefully I earn a positive return and then I take the profits from those dollars and they go back into growing my business, which can then which I can then use to grow my marketing a far better methodology, which is which is the concept of a, a flywheel, right? Instead of pushing a boulder up a linear hill where every, you know, every bit of progress that you make is costs you the same amount of work or effort or dollars, the idea behind a flywheel is that it scales with decreasing friction, right? You turn the flywheel once and now inertia is helping you to push it a little bit more again. And the second time you push it, it's easier than the first. And the third time is easier than the second. And the fourth time. And the 500th time is is shockingly easy compared to the first, right? So you're getting more value out every time you put the same input in. And I, I think one of the best ways for me to explain it is to give an example. So I'll give you the example from my old company, Moz, since we've, we've talked about that a little bit. So at Moz, in the early years, I blogged five nights a week. You can go back and read those posts. They are still on the website. They are not good. 
they are they are poorly written. They I'm not really sure who they were helping or how much. Uh, you can sort of feel the desperation of an early twenties kid trying to be you know influential in his in his aspiring field. But what happened over time, right? Over the course of a few years, I got better at blogging. I got a bigger and bigger audience each time I wrote a post, right? More people would subscribe, more people would follow the RSS feed and subscribe to the email list. I would get some links to my blog posts if they were good ones, which means that Google uh, thought my authority in, in Google's rankings was higher. And so every time I published again, those new posts would rank a little bit better. And eventually, right, fast forward five, six years, from say 2003 to about 2009, and every post I produced was read by thousands, if not tens of thousands of people. Almost every single one ranked well in Google and earned traffic from search engines. As social networks became popularized, they started earning traffic from social networks. People started following Moz's brand and me on social media. And I didn't have to do much, right? In those early days, if I wanted to post to get any traction, I would try and email some people. I'd go to some web forums and SEO, places where SEO discussions were happening on the web, and I'd share it, and I'd ask for feedback, and I'd try and get eyeballs on it. And if I wanted to get 100 times the amount of value that I got from a post in 2009 versus, versus 2004, all I had to do was hit publish. Now, Rand's marketing flywheel took a lot of time to build. It requires focus, it requires attention, it requires effort. Most of us in marketing struggle with this, not because it's difficult, but simply because of the pressures put on us. We've spoken before on the show about the McKinsey report that showed how two-thirds of executives believe that short-term pressures have increased and how because of that, the CMO has the shortest life expectancy in the C-suite, coming in at just two years and five months in 2019. That's down from two years, 10 months in 2018. All of that places pressure on everyday marketers who, according to e-consultancy, face more pressure to prove their ROI today than they ever have before. But those that avoid short-term pressures and manage to create consistent long-term campaigns that fuel marketing wheels actually start to see considerable growth. Consumer science tells us that a consistent message is far more effective at increasing recall, awareness and sales. Byron Sharp, in his book How Brands Grow, explains the science behind how memory structures are created. Simply put, these take time to build. For your brand to be remembered and to come to mind easily, you need to constantly remind your consumers regularly about your core message. An example of a company that has considered the effects of long-term messaging and felt the potential damages of not doing long-term messaging is Lacoste. Now, Lacoste, of course, are known for tennis shirts adorned with their famous tiny alligator. When the French company started selling shirts in the United States in the 1950s, they became a fashion icon. Millions of shirts were sold per year and the company recouped huge profits. However, in the mid-1980s, they lowered the price of their shirts and broadened the distribution to include discount outlets instead of adding more high-end stores. This was a considerable change from their long-standing consistent message. Now, the short-term effect was predictable. Sales increased, 
obviously they're going to increase if you decrease the price. And yet the brand was going from elite stores to clearance bins and it lost its flywheel. This caused a major problem. Margin started to fade away. And despite sales increasing, over time profitability dropped dramatically. So the company spun up their old marketing wheel again. They limited distribution to higher quality clothing retailers, advertised the brand through celebrities, and of course, re-raised their prices. Since then, sales jumped 800%. What is really interesting though, is that when Lacoste first started to re-spin their old marketing wheel, going back to high-end stores and increasing their prices, they didn't immediately see an increase in profitability. Had the company assumed a short-term sales perspective, they would have probably not been able to reinvigorate the brand and Lacoste probably wouldn't exist today. Instead, as we all know, they ignored these short-term pressures and instead set out with a long-term goal, creating the brand we know and love. So how do you, as marketers within the companies, wherever you work, go about building your own marketing flywheel? Well, I asked Rand just that. My advice when you're starting, starting out, trying to build a new flywheel trying to build a new business is kind of counter to a lot of what's popular in web marketing world in particular right now, which is kind of this, um, I think popularized a little bit by, by Gary Vaynerchuk, the, the omni-channel marketing idea. I, I'm not actually a fan, right? I think, I think marketers and entrepreneurs get quickly overwhelmed by this idea that I have to be everywhere. I have to be on all these channels and, you know, taking my piece of content, putting it everywhere. I think instead, if your team is limited if your budget is limited, the way to play this is instead to have one or two things that you do well that you focus on. And those one or two things should be a combination of, of kind of, you know, if you think about three overlapping Venn, uh, uh, circles in a Venn diagram, you should be right in the middle of these three things. Number one, you like to do it. If you don't like to do it, right, if it's not something that you're interested in or passionate about or you have some fun with it, I promise you will give up long before you get value from it. So you have to like it. Second, you have to be able to provide unique value from what everyone else out there is doing. So not I'm creating, I think, you know, there's this classic saying in, in the SEO world and the content marketing world of you have to create great content. A, I think that's largely useless advice, right? Who can say what great and good is? But unique value means it's valuable to my audience in a way that they can't get value. They can't get this information from somewhere else, right? They can't get this type of return, whatever I'm providing from somewhere else. And third, it has to be in a place that your audience actually pays attention. If you get those three right, you have a potential tactic to start investing in. And I would urge you to use that to start to turn your flywheel before you attempt to be everywhere so enjoy what you're marketing create something unique and do it in a place where your audience pays attention that is the key to building a sustainable marketing flywheel but before we finished i wanted to pick up on something Rand said he mentioned how he was against the omni-channel approach the idea that you have to be everywhere at once I asked him about this and he gave a great example about another difficult lesson he learned at Moz. I find it incredibly tempting, sometimes overwhelmingly so, to want to solve a lot of different problems all at once. It can be a death knell for an entrepreneur because distraction 
means that you cannot build the compound interest that you need to be successful long term. And and I I experienced this really painfully at Moz, right? I got distracted by these this idea of, hey, what if Moz wasn't just SEO? What if we could take all of the digital and web marketing practices and serve all of those customers? Our market would be even bigger. Uh, and big markets, that's what venture-backed companies should go after, right? If we're going to be a unicorn, we need to serve social media marketers, email marketers, content marketers, PRs, all these different people. And And so we tried to build a single product to help all these folks. And of course, SEO people looked at it and went, why did you build all these features that are not useful to me? I don't do that as part of my job. And we weren't good enough that any email marketer, content marketer, social media marketer, PR person could replace their existing tool set and process with it. It was it was just a failure of a concept, right? It was born from hubris and also wanting to help. I think one of the most challenging things to realize is that it is, A, very, very difficult to change people's perception about who or what you are uh, once you're already in a market and well-known, right? So if Coca-Cola tomorrow says, Coca-Cola, it's no longer a beverage, it's a fingerless glove for your left hand. What? How? What? No, I don't. Why would... They make that. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't fit with my mental model. I, I can't understand. I can't wrap my head around it. It's going to take them decades to build up that brand. Do I even need that thing? All, all of these types of challenges are true. Um, I, I did some analysis for Lost and Founder for the book uh, that I wrote and asked the, tried to ask the question, how many startups have successfully pivoted versus how many startups have pivoted, right? <laughs> And, and the answer is similar to the answer that you get when you ask how many startups have successfully IPO'd. It is a vanishingly tiny number that have successfully pivoted versus attempted to pivot. The, the pivot is often a death knell. And so what, what I want to urge entrepreneurs and individuals, marketers to do is to find that focus. If you get lost and distracted by investing in too many tactics, in, in trying to do too many things at once, in multitasking, in distracting your team, in distracting your, your customers and your potential customers, right? In, into not knowing what you're really about as opposed to positioning yourself as one thing. I, I think you will not have nearly as much success. And this is, this is why a lot of smart people tell entrepreneurs and marketers to focus. Rand's book, Lost and Founder, gives great detail about the problem Moz faced after they started to lose focus and build multiple different products. I really recommend picking up a copy of the book if you want to learn more about that. But before I go, I wanted to leave you with one great example of a brand that moved away from a short-term view and actually instead focused on a long-term view instead, and it saw considerable benefits. Clorox, the American provider of cleaning products like bleach, was facing a real problem in the mid-2000s. Customers simply weren't buying the product. Year-on-year -year revenue was dropping at 6%, and the only time customers seemed to buy was when the marketing team did a huge sales promotion, a drop in price by 50%, or a two-for-one offer. The marketing team was changing their approach every single month, trying a new promotion, trying a new hack that they thought might work, until they realized that maybe the hacks themselves 
were the problem. In a stroke of genius that ultimately saved the company, Clorox halted all price promotions and they spent the money saved on television advertising with consistent messaging. For the first quarter, revenues actually dropped two times worse than the previous quarter. It was looking like this long-term approach wasn't beating the sort of short-term approach. It didn't look great. But the team believed that this long-term focus and consistent approach would work. And next quarter, the result was different. Baseline sales increased dramatically. Consumers were no longer buying from promotion to promotion, but instead were habitually purchasing more volume at full price. And these changes had a positive long-term effect on company revenue, with profits increasing 3% quarter on quarter. You can read about this great example in the HBR article I've linked to in the show notes. But the long story short is that often long-term messaging trumps short-term promotions. Growth hacks can be great, but they shouldn't be your whole marketing strategy. Instead, you should invest in these long-term marketing flywheels, which create compounding interest that actually grows brands like Moz, like Lacoste, and like Clorox. Anyway, that is all from me today. I wanted to say a huge thank you to Rand for coming on the show. I have always admired his work and really highly rate his book. If you'd like to hear more from Rand, then I've left a link to both his book and his company Spark Toro in the show notes. Now, I'll be back again in two weeks with another episode. So to make sure you do not miss that episode, please sign up to the Nudge mailing list, the link to which is, is within the show notes below. And finally, before you go, could you just take two minutes to review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen? Reviews are a lot like flywheels. The more you get, the better the podcast will perform. So please help me out by leaving a review. Anyway, thank you again for listening to this episode of Nudge.